Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Trey Watlington, Head of Integrated Strategy for AT&T Business at BBDO Worldwide. Welcome on, Trey. We're so excited to have you. Thanks. Happy to be here. Trey, thank you so much uh, for joining the pod. You work at a very big agency, and I think a lot of people dream of working at a big, fancy ad agency and shaping strategy for these kind of large brands. Can you talk a little bit about the story that got you to where you are today? Absolutely. So I would probably have been one of those dreamers when I was back in school. I think there's um, a lot that has been made of, you know, whether it's movies or just culture of working at an ad agency and what that looks like, whether that's Mad Men, which came out after I kind of started my career, uh, or even back into, I think there was like a Matthew McConaughey movie where he played and he was in an ad agency. And I was just like, that's such a cool job, right? It was the the opposite of what, you know, other uh, avenues were where I, I didn't want to wear a suit. I didn't want to sit behind a desk. I didn't want to do, I had a long list of things I didn't want to do. <laughs> but I think the, uh, the ad agency wrote, um, definitely was one that intrigued me from kind of creativity that I had. So um, just quickly how I got there, it was very much a, a little bit of a roundabout. So uh, I went to school for advertising and public relations, did my internships in that, and um, did them at kind of a, a various different uh, levels of agency. So big agency, independent agency, small agency, all of those um, were kind of in my uh, early days. And then I landed in a, um, a job that wasn't advertising. It was in branding. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. Uh, I came to learn that it was everything that I loved about advertising because it did exactly what you just said, where we would kind of set the vision for the brand at a, a very high level. And it would start to influence all different aspects across the board. So advertising was one of those things, but from design to packaging to tone of voice to all the things, right? And so that's where I really got into kind of the elements of branding and what that meant. And then that translated into, uh, or transitioned rather into innovation and creating brands from scratch or creating sub brands that attach to master brands and brand architecture and all of those things. And then it kind of came back around the roundabout part of it is it came back around to doing that at an ad agency, um, in New York, uh, called Anomaly and, um, was doing a lot of that brand creation, innovation type work. Um, and, but I was in and around kind of an ad, uh, atmosphere or, or culture. Um, and that, uh, kind of showed me that a lot of the same tools were being used. I'm on the strategy side. So a lot of my same kind of strategic underpinnings were still being used, but they were just being deployed and the output was different. So in my old day or my old days, wow, my early <laughs> days of uh, branding, it was very much, um, you know, that a tangible output, it was packaging, it was um, uh, an, an experience, it was like very tangible things. And then um, for advertising, those same, those same rules applied, same tools applied, but we were creating campaigns or we're creating um, kind of different avenues of communication. 
Um, so yeah, the roundabout way to get into advertising, but the big shop part of that, I think to, to that part of your question, um, that really just, uh, kind of found its way. It was never my intent. I think everybody dreams to work on big brands because that's the, the work that you can see. Um, I think it's called, I call it like the brag factor that like, my mom doesn't call me and say like, Oh, I saw your strategy deck that you worked on. No, she said like, <laughs> I saw that TV commercial that you worked on or, you know, the, the packaging that you had was in the supermarket. And so, um, you want those things. I think that's inherent human nature. You want to work on things that are seen and known. Um, and so I've just been able and very fortunate in my career, um, not lost on me that it's, it's been a very fortunate ride to kind of land where I am now. Yeah, that, it's such a lovely story. And I like the distinction you make between branding and advertising. Are there misconceptions about what branding is from your point of view? Oh, for sure. I mean, when I started getting into, so I grew up in Texas. And so branding, the running joke is like, about a, um, I had family <laughs> that ran farms. So it was a very different uh, connotation. But I, I think there is misconceptions and, and the lines are blurred now. I think before it was a pretty easy distinction when advertising was just a few set of channels and you could only kind of influence whether it was radio or TV um, or, you know, out of home or print. Now with content, the way that it is, there's kind of some blurred lines of like what's, what's part of the brand and branding exercise and what's advertising. And so um, I think the misconceptions are probably fueled by just our industry starting to get, bigger and the outputs becoming, uh, the scale of them being larger. Um, but I think some people underplay branding, uh, just having sat on that side of it from the early part of my career. I think some people look at that and say, well, that's just the logo or that's just the, um, the language or, you know, it, it influences the website. And I think branding done well, done correctly, is something that's much more foundational than that for brands. Um, and it should influence every aspect of their business um, outside of just some of those things that people might just write off um, as like, oh, it just it covers those things, right? So I think that's probably one of the bigger ones. It's almost like there has to be a core philosophy or drive behind every execution of the brand that's right that's right it has to have i mean you've heard it called a purpose a north star a fill in the blank of whatever you know trademarked uh process you're going through <laughs> um but it is definitely um it, it needs something it needs something to guide it because i think irrespective of that it becomes uh an arms race to the bottom of what's the best deal what's the best product what's the best and without that kind of purpose driving element, um, which a lot of times is set at the brand level, um, it, it becomes um, harder to do some of those things. Yeah. Can you talk about your work, uh, specifically building integrated strategies? And for anyone who might not be familiar, what the term integrated strategy means? That's right. As strategists, we like to make up terms and we like to just roll with them until uh, we make sense of them. <laughs> North but Star, I think, synergy. That's right, North Star, that's right. We optimize the, yeah. Um, and, and acronyms is a whole nother game. We should have a drinking game or bingo uh, for. But um, 
integrated strategy is a going back to kind of what I think this industry has become. It's not just about these, you know, three or four channels of advertising. Now it's much more the 360 omni-channel, all of those things that you start to hear. And so the role of integrated strategy is meant to uh, be the conduit that makes sense of all of that. Right. And so it takes the view of um, kind of stitching all of it together uh, and making sense, but putting a really um, uh, strong rigor around who's the, who are we talking kind of the basics who are we talking to what are we trying to say um where where are they participating or where are they wanting to consume content or whatever we're trying to do so it's taking some of those foundational elements um of kind of traditional marketing but looking at it across the entire landscape that's the integrated part we have some digital partners we have some experiential partners we have advertising partners we so we have to kind of look at it from from the the 30,000 foot view and then drive down with strategic rigor around okay how do we actually land what we're trying to do yeah and can you talk a little bit about what specifically you and your team do for AT&T and what pieces that you might touch well AT&T is a very large organization uh, and a large brand going back to kind of our first part of the conversation. And so what we're, um, kind of looking after on my team specifically is AT&T business, which is kind of the B2B play for AT&T. So, um, instead of our, uh, consumers being, uh, everyday consumers who would go into an AT&T retail location and buy the latest iPhone 14 that just launched yesterday or the new plan that to go with, with that, um, or internet for their home, our clients are, uh, businesses and business decision makers. And so, um, we angle, um, whenever we have projects, we, we bring that point of view to, um, to the conversation and, and to whatever we're trying to, to accomplish. So my team looks after the at t business side of the strategic, um, elements and uh we have an integrated team so um we are are part of omnicom which is a a big holding company and we have multiple different agencies across multiple different disciplines which make up our team and so uh, we have people from uh, the digital team or the digital agency we have people from uh, the email and direct mail agency we have people from the advertising agency so there's actually four different agencies represented on my team. And that's part of the integrated model, right? That's, that's what makes us an integrated team. Uh, but we point it all toward AT&T business and trying to help them communicate um, kind of what their story is and what products they have that can help businesses really um, kind of navigate through this new world of connectivity and keeping everybody um, kind of connected and, and keeping their business moving forward. It sounds like just an incredible amount of people on email threads. It feels <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong in that. Yeah, the uh, I, I can say the um, adding for biz. I don't know if you've heard that language, but like, hey, I'm just going to throw uh, reply all and add this person, this one person for biz. Like that behavior is crazy to me um and i i understand it on some levels and then other levels i'm like man like there has to be a better way and obviously there's places like 
you know, products that are trying to, to serve that. So, you know, the obvious in, in this conversation, but I think things like Slack meant to like cut down on that, but it still happens. And in a model like what we have, you're exactly right. When that uh, distribution list gets very long, adding per viz <laughs> is like the uh, antithesis of that. Yeah, it feels like uh, just a, a, a numbing amount of connectivity within each one of these goals. How do you, how does it work? Like, how do you keep everything moving smoothly and moving uh, with grace? Yeah, well, I appreciate that the uh, <laughs> the idea of moving with grace, that's the goal, obviously. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think you just have to, um, you, you have to be open and uh, you have to be a good listener. You have to um, be empathetic to where people are coming into whatever, you know, whatever the context might be, whatever, if it's a project, if it's a conversation, um, there's a lot of different people coming from a lot of different places with a lot of different views, all trying to get to one unified, um, solution or, or whatever we're trying to, to accomplish. And so, um, there's a lot of like soft skills that come into play with that and trying to, uh, navigate that, but still doing it in a way that is intelligent and kind of, uh, driven by, um, whether it's practicality or data or whatever it might be. So, so the balance of relationships and people who are behind, uh, those adding for biz examples or those email addresses, um, as well as what's the task at hand um, and what are we trying to deliver and deliver with a level of excellence. Um, that's the balance that, that you try to, to do with grace and do smoothly. Um, but it, I think a lot of it is, is those soft skills because there's no, especially when you um, pieces of business, like the one that I work on or agencies like the one, like it's almost a, a foregone conclusion. People are talented right? And you've gotten there for some, for some reason, whether it was your resume or a connection or you've, your experience. Um, and so you, you want to continue to hone those skills, but it's the relationship side that I think helps kind of round out some of those more challenging kind of, uh, webs that are just really entangled with different personalities and agencies and representatives. It's a lovely way to put it. And it feels like you know, emotional intelligence is such a huge part of the success that uh, you're striving for or the, the, the way that you're approaching this business. Um, can you talk about uh, how emotional intelligence plays into marketing and branding from your perspective? I think it plays in a couple of different ways. I think you look at it from the kind of one-to-one -one perspective. So my own personal um, experience with the people that I interact with on a daily basis, whether that's people on my team, my direct team, whether it's part of this larger integrated model, whether it's clients. So I think there's that kind of one-to-one -one interpersonal relationship that emotional intelligence plays a huge part in. I think the other side of it is looking at it, and this is where my brand background comes into play. I think you can still uh, achieve uh, the same types of things uh, or deploy emotional intelligence if you look at it from a brand perspective. So again, I was, I, we've kind of crafted North Stars and purpose and all of those things. The five pillars of, uh, of emotional intelligence 
um, are still at play. And if you actually flip that and think about it as a brand, like we often talk about, like if a brand was a person, what would they have to talk like, or who would they be, or what what uh, values would they have? So those are all still applicable with kind of this layer of emotional intelligence and, um, you know, those five pillars um, being kind of um, self-awareness. So if I'm thinking of a brand, like, hey, your brand should be like aware of the context in which they operate in the industry in which they operate and kind of what's going on uh, in and around it. Uh, Self-management. So like how you manage in this context brands like how does how do you manage the brand how do you manage something that like the brand that i work on are big brands like the scale of that how do you kind of navigate through all of that um the uh social awareness being a third pillar and kind of how you move in and around culture and and social moments and we've seen a lot of brands either misstep in that um regard or some brands that are really good at it And I think that's a a key pillar that you can use for EI as you put a a brand lens on it. Um, Fourth pillar being relationship management. And when you think about relationship management, I mean, again, on your internal teams, you can do that. But um, as a brand, like we talk about community uh, relationships and uh, you you go on the social side of it and there's community managers and things that that help uh, navigate those types of conversations and then the last one's just motivation. Um, and I think that level of emotional intelligence to kind of do all the other pillars, that's the one that really pushes it forward and kind of puts it into action. And so as a brand, you obviously uh, have things that you push into the world and, and show um, your emotional intelligence at work. Um, so, I, I mean, that's a, a, a kind of a crude outline of how, <laughs> if I think about it as a brand, how I would use emotional intelligence. And then the other side, I would use those same pillars for myself, right? Like, am I self-aware? Am I empathetic to those people that are in this conversation or the points of views that are being uh, put forth uh, in whatever context that it might be? And kind of just run through those same things. But that's kind of how I've used them Um throughout and on both sides of that coin. So often we talk about authenticity and and how do you reach the actual person? And it feels like that layer of investment in a persona makes that sort of demographic into a person rather than, uh, you know, just a, a set of, you know, quantifiable numbers or a set of, you know, age groups and where they live and what they like. Yeah, Um, you're exactly right. I think that idea of, I mean, those are some of the things like, again, on the strategy side, those are some of the the tools in our toolbox, right? What's the persona? What are the values? What is the the positioning statement? Like all of those things. uh, And this even goes back to your kind of question about misconceptions. People who don't see value in those, see those as just uh, artifacts that you're just creating. Right. Like, oh, here's this really great document that says, here's our persona. And that's nice. But like, I need to go sell these things. <laughs> I need to get like hit my revenue numbers. I need to go like my business needs to actually function. And when they're done at their best, you, you can tie the emotional and functional. Right. Like we write briefs all the time or we get feedback from clients in my entire career where people have been like, it needs to feel more emotional. And it's like. Well, that's subjective. Like, what emotion are we trying to angle at? And so Mm -hmm. the rigor of research or data can start to help kind of fine tune those things. But connecting those two together 
um, is, is where the sweet spot is because one on its own can start to take you down a path that, that you might not really, uh, want to go down or you might get down the path and be like, Oh man, we got to go back so that we can pick up some emotional elements <laughs> that, that really drive our business forward. Have there been moments or stories that really kind of exemplified this in your career or in your work in branding? Um, I, I think it's kind of scattered throughout. I, th I think there's brands that um, it's more natural than others. So when you start to think of a brand that could really, um, really uh, exhibit some of those more emotional values or um, behaviors, I think you, uh, there's, there's some brands that that's just more natural to do and some industries even, where that's just more natural to do. I think when you get into things like uh, I worked on a, on a brand in the HVAC industry, I mean, that's maybe a little harder. Sexy like industry. Hardcore, <laughs> yeah, super sexy. <laughs> that, so, so one of the agencies in my background, um, was, uh, it became known for doing, we, we called them grudge purchases. We worked on car batteries. We worked on HVAC. Um, and it's just, that is a, you don't want to have to buy HVAC. You're not in the market for HVAC unless you have to be right. Um, so in those instances, it's harder, but done well, it actually helps provide some, some level of human truths to a brand that might otherwise just left to its own vices, go down the path of functionality and end up with like, well, we can't, we can't talk about it any other ways. Like this is just exactly how we build it. And this is how we sell it. And void of that emotional um, piece, it, it becomes a little harder. So in some ways, when you do it on, on industries and brands like that, it becomes a little more in this personal opinion. It's a little sweeter because it, you can actually feel like you're, you're uh, moving the needle. Whereas categories or industries that are all about emotion all the time. So you see it a lot in CPG or you see it obviously in like nonprofit or other things like the, you're over rotating or over indexing on, on emotion. You kind of got to build in some of the functionality of like, no, like this is why you should actually care. Or this is how we're different or whatever it might be. So, um, without going to like specific use cases. Um, there's others like one of those, there was a really cool alcohol brand that I worked on and um, it was a copper rum. And there's, if you're familiar with rum for all the rum connoisseurs who are listening, uh, this one has a, <laughs> that's a, a big a demographic of ours. That's right. <laughs> Huge demographic. And, and we're in a recession. So we're gaining new followers every day. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, there's a, a band on the bottle that was, um, it was hand done by, um, women in uh, Guatemala. Um, and it was just a, a beautiful story. And, um, I think it was Guatemala. Now I'm going to check my own references. Regardless, it was, they were hand done. And this is stuff that you go buy at the, uh, at the uh, liquor store shelves. And so in that instance, like what a great, beautiful part of the story that you can bring to, to bear and how you talk about and, and what the brand stands for and all those types of things. Um, and then you balance that with the HBAC example and it gets a little harder to get some of those things in, but both have to kind of balance 
but the, the, the emotional functional aspect of what you're trying to do. Cause even in that Zacapa example, if we just led with the story and didn't talk about the quality of the liquid or how we process the liquid or, or how it won so many awards, like it would just be like, well, that's a nice story, but like, I'm not going to buy it. Right. So it's finding that balance uh, has been something throughout my career in various different brands and industries. If there's someone listening that uh, might lead a group or a team or a company and wants to start to incorporate some of these uh, ideals into their leadership, do you have any piece of advice of how to sort of approach this idea and how to maybe enact it in small steps? Or is that, that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great question and a great push for, for all leaders. And I would say it's nothing that um, uh, there's no one way to do it. There's like any good kind of philosophy or uh, way of working. There's some core foundations or the pillars that I mentioned, but like, I think some of that in practice is really just like being a good empathetic listening um, and strong leader. So I think the, the balance that leaders have to, to find in the emotional intelligence is they'll mistake, uh, um, you know, my, my kindness for weakness that and we've heard that a lot. And I think finding that balance of where to be assertive and be a leader because people want to be led. Um, but doing that in a way that isn't you know, like a authoritarian or a dictatorship or something that feels you want people to follow. People will follow people they want to follow. They're yeah. like, otherwise they'll just leave the job. So I think <laughs> some of those things that you want to, uh, that you want to employ are active listening and, uh, you know, encouraging people to, uh, explore their own journeys of like, what you know, what are you talking to, to team members? What are you passionate about? Or how, how can we incorporate that into our day-to-day work? Or, um, you know, some of it's a just core leadership style, but I think it's those soft skills that come into play, like empathy and active listening and um, really just treating people the way you want to be treated. I mean, as silly as that sounds, like going back to that core, core principle, I think a big the part golden of my rule I've heard. The golden rule. That's right. So yes. part of my experience with this has been like I grew up, I say it, my, my parents will probably listen to this because that's just the type of parents I have. Um but I I say I grew up the son of a preacher and a teacher. So he wasn't technically yeah. a preacher, he was a minister. Anyway, so that's where the technicalities come. But in in practice you kind of understand what I'm talking about. And so I had two great examples at home of emotional intelligence. I mean, I had a, a mom who taught kindergarten for 20 plus years. Like you think that if you want to go learn some emotional intelligence, go hang out with some kindergarten teachers and they will tell definitely, or teachers in general, they'll just still, yeah. they have a good sense for it. Um, and so I think you bring that level of humanity into your leadership style, um, which is, and sometimes it's in conflict with what our culture tells us about you know, move, progress, go farther, go faster. How high can you get up on the ladder? And it's yeah. not to say that you have to give all that up. It's just how you get there is the difference. Do you have any resources that helped you master your active listening and your soft skills that you possess? 
Yeah, um, I have a wife. I have two children. <laughs> I have, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I joke. I mean, there is some truth in that. But um, like actual, you know, emotional intelligence, I feel like became a buzzword. Kind of, I, I started yeah. working at innovation before innovation became like a big thing. Um, and even branding, like I didn't really know what branding was. And now it's kind of, you know, obviously a lot bigger deal. 15 plus 20 years later. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of great tools out there. I think there's like the silly things, like you can go take tests and see where you're under indexing on soft skills and things like that. I mean, those are not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on those. I think they're actually valuable. Uh, same with personality tests. Like we've heard everything from like Myers-Briggs to Enneagram. So like all these things that go um, in on some of those things. Um, as a team leader, I found that those are actually helpful when you understand, it helps you contextualize and understand people's motives and, um, and just behaviors a little better. It's not to like pigeonhole people and say like, you are only this person, yeah. but it definitely like, you know, hindsight, you're like, ah, okay. Now I know how you might react or when you mm-hmm. have certain emotions, how that's going to show up. So those things are, are helpful as well. And then, there's just a, a ton of, uh, I feel like there's, it started in kind of the uh, educational community, right? Like higher ed, this idea of emotional intelligence. So there's like tons of resources on the scientific side of emotional intelligence and all the things that go into it. Um, not like a single source of like, go to this website and you will learn everything that there is to know. But um, there's tons of podcasts, um, obviously, <laughs> irony. Um <laughs> And, uh, and other things that, that have helped me kind of understand what I think looking back and always, it puts, uh, it, it helps frame things in my past. Like I had, inter- I had a reviews like from my bosses and it got caught. That was the first time it, I clocked it. Someone was like, you're really emotionally intelligent. I'm like, I've never heard, I've heard those two words separated, but I never heard them together. And what right. does that mean? And how does that actually play out? So, um, yeah, those are just it, some of the, the resources that have helped inform me. But uh, you said master. I would say I'm far from mastering it, but I definitely have been intrigued by it. And it, become, it has become uh, a common theme and a kind of a passion of mine. I love that. I think it's so true because every person that you work with, and especially when it comes to a team, everybody is different. And I like how you said how somebody's going to react to something and how you might pick up on, you know, oh, they they like to work in this, you know, in this direction. And it might be because of X, Y and Z. Um, I think it's great for every team to kind of know that and almost do exercises, if you will. A thousand percent. And those perspectives are so important to whether it's a team dynamic or even the output that you're trying to get to. Like, yeah, the last thing I want to do is, you know cram my point of view into a team that's like just regurgitating things the way I would do it. Right. So Mm -hmm. like that's where as a leader being a a good listener, I think is huge. It's it's so paramount. Um, And why I think this emotional intelligence is is getting so much traction the way that it is. Um, But yeah, everybody's different. And that's not to say like, uh, you know, I'm also, there is a fine line of like, I'm, not a everybody gets a ribbon for participating type of yeah. person like that's just 
that's a, probably a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but that's where, again, like the, the kindness and understanding and empathy with still being a leader and having to like say, okay, that's great. Like I listened to everybody's perspective and here's where we're going to go, but not discounting and you know, from the jump being like, well, here's, the, I need to do these things this way. And that just, I have found personally that that hasn't resulted in uh, a whole lot of upside in the long term, like the long play. Short term, yeah. maybe, but the long term definitely becomes a challenge. Well, it almost feels yeah. counterintuitive to have uh, listening be paramount for a leadership. You know, it feels like leadership is often like, I'm the leader, I'm in control, like, do what I say. Like, that's sort of the, yeah. the, yeah almost stereotypical trope of leadership is that the people that have to listen are often like this, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best, some of the best leaders will tell you like their role is to listen. And, yeah. and it's why like in, when you get the feedback meeting with clients and, you know, I'm saying it from an agency perspective, I mean, it, it makes sense why people at, at sitting in it, I didn't understand it. But on this side of it, I'm like, ah, okay. Where you would do a presentation and there'd be time for people to react. And if you had some layer of leadership in the room from the client perspective, they would start with the most junior person first. And they would say, hey, you know, John, what did you think about that? And it would work and they would be the last to speak. And it, uh, sometimes I was like, it felt performative and We've probably all been in rooms where you're like, oh, no, I don't know, like that feels weird. Or like, it feels oh, like out of a workbook. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> listen to all seven right. of these people before we get to like the one opinion that's actually going to make or break whatever we just presented. Um, mm. But the discipline of that and kind of the behavior of that, I think is, is important and good leaders do that and do it well. And uh, don't go through, don't go around the horn and say, cool, that's great that you guys thought that we're going to go completely at the opposite direction. Um, so th that's where it's going. And again, I think uh, you're exactly right. That duality of like leadership has, has taught us to be like, I stood on the shoulders of people to get to the position I'm at now. And so th therefore it's my, you know, um, course to chart, but I think it's uh there's more to it than that. And we're seeing that like the, the mayor of New York was probably the most notably uh, and recognizable story of this. Like he just became mayor. I remember how long ago, relatively recent, right? Air quotes. Um, and he wanted to fill the positions in New York city with people. And he said his number one qualifier was going to be emotional intelligence. And yeah. it was, you know, he could go and get any chief of police or he could go get any, um, you know, city uh, fill in the blank, but he wanted somebody who understood people and what people needed and how to listen and do all these things that we're talking about. And it was just, it got, I mean, it became a story like you can Google mm -hmm. it and there's, there's news stories written about it because it was so different from what people in that position. Um, I think other people have done similar things in those types of positions, but like he planted a flag and was like, no, this is what, what we're going to go do. I love that. That's so, so poignantly put and very important for every company, I feel like, because you can say you're going to listen to everybody, but until you actively start doing those things and in those group settings, making the effort and that traction, that's when like the change and the difference comes. 
Yeah. I would also say the expect set the expectation, right? Like yeah. the, the mayor of New York City, like it was very clear that that was the expectation that leadership was going to exhibit this type of behavior. And so what do you think that did for all the people who reported into those people or who are now on the teams of those people? Like it just starts from a different place than saying I've gotten to this role of a, you know, chief of police and you're going to follow me whether you like it or not. Right. It just is a yeah. framing it uh, and, and setting an expectation from the get go. Yeah. I love that. Um, kind of relating back to earlier when you actually brought up your family, what lessons has becoming a parent taught you related to branding and managing your team? Yeah. I like the back part of that question. Cause the first part of that question could go a million different ways, just <laughs> becoming a parent and what lessons have you learned? Um, but in terms of my wife is pregnant uh, right now. So team, I'm very, I'm actively listening right now. Yes. <laughs> yes I love it. Is yes. this your first? first is, do yeah. you have kids already? This is no. okay. And yeah, actively listening. Um, I will say that what I've learned being a parent is probably a deeper um, understanding and passion for this whole 30 some odd minutes we've been talking for what that actually means on a personal level. Like there's no other place that you can learn that than with your own kids, right? Like being able to get on their level and listen to them and, and everything that we talk about plays out of my house, right? Like regardless of, of the topic. So like, I'm going to listen to what you have to, we have a thing in our house where my girls will tell you this. I have two daughters and one of them's just turned 10. We're in the double digits. It's big news in the Watlington household. Um, and the other is about to be seven. Um, and both of them will, there's sayings that I have. And one of them is you can feel your feelings. Like I want you to feel your feelings. And it was kind of counter. I had parents who, who displayed that, but it, it was something that I felt was really important. And so bringing that into my team and my work and like listening and having empathy for people's perspectives and, um, and kind of what their views are is very much that, like, I want, I want you to feel those things because they're important. Like the last thing that I want to do as a leader is to just squash those feelings or emotions and be like, cool. Can you do that in a corner? Cause we have this meeting that we got to go like take care of. Um, so I think just the level at which I feel those things was heightened um, or, or deepened. However, whatever way you want to take that analogy uh, after having kids, because it was, um, it, it just made it more, more personal. Now, to be honest, it, it showed me how the impact of having someone listen and them feeling seen and known and un- understood um, that just, amplified it for me as a leader stand with a brand is our next segment we're talking about lv so lv is a femtech startup and they recently shattered the taboo of incontinence by proclaiming leaks happen with a shocking peeing billboard um, in the billboard there is a woman who is weightlifting at the same time She's having a leak. Um, people gawked at it and talked about it squatting, peeing, lift, peeing weightlifter falling, 
the campaign being censored on social media. And I wanted to read a little quote for from one of the founders. So when it comes to taboos, especially to female health, um, it's an unspoken taboo that they want to fight. We always have to push the boundaries with our social media and we're not alone in this. Lots of women's health companies get censored or taken down specifically around incontinence. So is humor the way to bring these issues into the light? Is media censorship okay in this instance? Wondering if you stand with a brand tray or if you take a seat. Yeah. Um, well, I will go on record uh, for stating the obvious of I'm not the target demographic for this. So I actually had to do my own research and kind of understand, okay, what, what was at play here? Cause I think on the surface, yeah. again, you can read what you just read or you could just hear about a peeing billboard and you're like, Whoa, yep. what? That feels weird. And maybe not. And again, from my perspective, cause I'm not uh, someone who has had to deal with um, incontinence uh, in that way. And so uh, my mind, my strategy mind goes to like, what's the research that got them there or what's the consumer need that, or the insight that they uh, found or the, what they're trying to solve. And it, it, the quote you just read, I think, articulates that and, and does it well. And then, uh, and then it comes down to the subjectivity of execution. Of do yep. we think that that went too far? Or do we th- and that that is subjective, and that is the hardest part of our business, right? Of mm-hmm. trying to convince someone that that is the right the right answer or the way that that uh, best articulates the idea. Um, and so, I th- on the on the um, kind of double click in for me, I think that it's actually a good thing. I think I would say like to use the the term for it, like I would stand with the brand and say, you took something that was, uh, there's a clear need for it. There was uh, research that, that got you there. It wasn't just like a, you know, someone else was talking about it and you jumped into the conversation just to have shock factor or any of that. And I think the line of, you know, is humor the right way to do it or not? some people have done that really effectively. It's, it's the thing that gets attention, right? So, and like it uh, or hate it, that's just the culture that we've built where to kind of grab someone's attention, you gotta do something, whether that's like song and dance or whether that's, you know, uh, humor or really emotional storytelling, whatever it is, you gotta get people's attention. So um, I actually looked at that billboard and didn't think like it, nothing really was like, humorous about it for me um again i i could have just been uh, an opinion of one but um i thought it it was calling um calling an issue to light that that obviously people um have uh, there's things layers in there that i think people um needed to hear so like the shame of talking about it or like sharing it and, and kind of um with a group and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, that it was uh, shocking. Yes. I do think um, the censorship of it was the other element that you talked about. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think it, that's where, again, um, there's probably a whole nother segment or a podcast around censorship and what's the right way to do it in advertising. Um, it, it feels like that was a little, a little harsh. Um, if I'm being honest, I feel like maybe someone just got uncomfortable, which was kind of their whole aim was to, was to make people, um, kind of take note. 
um, I don't think it was something that was like so egregious that needed to be pulled from, you know, whatever airwaves or in this case, social media. Um, but I think there's, there is some responsibility that, that we have as advertisers uh, to find a line. It's the reason, I mean, we've been doing it for, for decades, you know, going back to smoking and cartoons or, you know, just there's, there is a fine line that um, to bring it all back into this emotional intelligence space. So like if you're socially aware or if you're even self-aware, like there are some things that are just foundational in how you have to behave as a brand. But in this particular instance, I don't think that those lines were, were crossed in a way that should have resulted in, in that type of um, outcome. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put how you said it. And um, I will say, kind of being in the realm of this could happen to me um, in the future, potentially, uh, I ran in college and such, and this was pretty normal. Some girls that I ran with had happened that when they were running or when they were weightlifting. Um, so I kind of was exposed to it um, and didn't think anything of it except for like, oh, like, no sweat. Like this is, you know, this happens. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it is important to bring these subjects up. I do enjoy the bit with humor being brought into these, you know, quote unquote taboo things, because I think humor, if delivered, you know, quote unquote correctly, can almost be a way to like bring light to it. And it's not to poke fun at the people who, you know, have this condition. It's just a way to kind of like raise awareness and say, oh my gosh, I go through that. Or, you know, my mom or somebody, like somebody you know probably has this condition and has been in that situation, um, whether it's at the gym or, you know, they're doing something else. Um, I will say it was really cool to see. And I especially when it comes to female health, it one piece that is frustrating that I can recognize is uh, social media because they allow certain things. But then when it comes to these subjects that can be like very um, almost influential with some people where they're like, oh my gosh, this is me, you know, this is so great to see this. They just like nix it. And as you stated, it could have been people who were, you know, uncomfortable with it, which is fine. You don't have to be, you know, on board with every subject that's brought up. But I think it is important that maybe in the future, I'm just saying this hopefully, but social media um, might have some different avenues for things like this, especially when it comes to health and specifically female health, because I feel like it has been censored quite a bit, whether it's this, whether it's on periods or anything else. Um, and I personally think they did a pretty good job with bringing this to light and what better way than a giant billboard for everyone to just stop and be like, whoa, what is this for? Um, I think it's almost equivalent to, I've heard this term before and I'm pretty sure someone on our podcast said it. I just can't remember, but th like the thumbs, thumb stop scrolling where you just mm -hmm. are like, wow, what is this yeah. about? Yes. Thumb stopping. And mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to do it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I, I do think it's, uh, it, it's a fine line. And, uh, but what I like about what this does is it kind of hits on those things of, again, like imagine those people that you were around 
um, who have struggled with this or have, yeah. you know, it just became part of who they are and it might feel shameful or it might feel like I want to, you know, hide it or no one else deals with this except for me. And then like the loneliness, like the, all the things that come and then to see something like that, talk about feeling seen and known, like the brand took a stand and it was like, Hey, we're, we're here. And yes. what I thought was so nice about it was they also provided a solution, right? Like if I'm yep. remembering correctly, like it was, there was like a product or like there was something. Yeah, their that product was, for LV. Yep. So there was, there was something there for them to say, Hey, we not only see and recognize you and this um, issue, but we have something that can help. Um, I think it, you know, absent of that, going back to kind of our, you go too far down one path. Like if you were just going yeah. to the shock factor and just trying to call attention to uh, the issue or the cause and didn't really have a, a strong solution or something that could actually help move it forward, I think it might have been mis, you know, misaligned. Um, but I thought they, they did that beautifully well. Like, hey, not only do we see and recognize and know who you are and what you struggle with, but we have something that can help. Um, I thought was uh, well done. You know, there's obviously going to be two viewers. There's going to be the viewers that are going to see it and be shocked and like avert their eyes and never want to think about it again. And there's going to be the viewer that it unlocks a curiosity and unlocks a little bit of like, what is this? And how can I, you know, how can this hit me with more meaning? And I think that's what that's what happened. When I saw it, I was like, what is this? Yeah. And it just made I mean, me... that's effective advertising. Yeah. That's effective communication. Right? You're leaning in. You want to know like... What exactly does that mean? Or even as I'm not a target market, like, like I didn't know, but I'm a dad of two daughters and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. now oh, like these are things that I'm going to probably have some, you know, experience in and around like women's health issues that I just didn't have to think of. So I think from that perspective, that's what we want to do in advertising. Nobody yeah. like let's let's draw up the ad for without this and it's hey we have this new product and you can get it at your local fill in the blank pharmacy for x amount of dollars like women just sitting around just laughing by? eating salads yeah, like it's just some stock <laughs> some stock photo just everybody's happy on the other end of yep. whatever this issue was that you talked about and like do you struggle with these things well sign up to like that would not have worked and it would not have, would not have ended up in this segment. It would not have ended up in the news the way that it did. Yeah. And I think most importantly, it would not have impacted the people who were struggling with it or looking for a solution. It would not have landed with them. They would have been like, well, that's not me. My salad eating stock photo is definitely not me. <laughs> I have me at the gym. Right. And that, that's yeah. more me. So if, if that was their goal to really impact and like that consumer need and really answer it. Um, I don't know how many more, there's probably a couple of different ways they could have done it. Again, the, the subjectivity of execution, but like they did it and landed it with, you know, the right people that they were trying to target. And we say it all the time that like, you can't be everything for everybody. Yeah, um, so, absolutely. but they were, they were the thing for somebody and that, yep. that I think carries a lot of weight. We have one last segment and it's just three quick questions. So the first one, what have you done recently for the very first time? Ooh, 
that's a good one for the very first time. Um, oh, so my daughter went to her first concert. So we took them to their first concert. And so it wasn't my first concert, but it was the first time taking my daughters to a concert. And so that experience, going to a concert as a parent for a, a, <laughs> for a group that was played on repeat at nauseam in my household was something that I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> like this is a whole, a whole dish. So seeing it from that perspective. So I would say, um, I had an experience that I had never had before recently. And it happened to be in a concert entertainment thing, but it took me out of my, what I thought like, Oh yeah, we're just going to go to a concert. It's going to be great. And I was like, Oh, hold on. This is completely different than what I had ever uh, experienced myself or even thought I was going to experience. So I would say that. Yeah, that's something that's a situation that I feel like I've seen represented in many um, advertisement and TV show of just wide eyed parents. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And then obviously my brain and, and kind of just the business that I'm in, I'm like, okay, so I see like the merch tables over here and just like, what was on stage and the programming of it all. Like my mind went to that versus like, I went to a concert recently. I went to see Garth Brooks, like one of our greatest entertainers. So it was very, <laughs> the polar opposite of that. I was like, hold on. Like we are nowhere <laughs> in the same route, but for my girls, it was awesome. They loved it. It was exactly what they thought it was going to be and more. And I was just like, you went to the same place. I Okay. That is just a, a very different experience. um our next question is if you were to be invited to a show and tell right now what do you think you would bring and why oh man i'm trying to think of things like work-wise i would bring things that would be some of the examples we talked about today but other examples i mean there's so many out there that are just crushing it with foundational purpose and like others like we one we use all the time is uh, like a Patagonia or REI or like those types of brands and, and just digging into why those work so well and why they hit on such a human truth that people are like, yes, like sign me up for more of that. Or I already have all the Patagonia stuff and now I love it even more because of all these things that I've learned about the brand, which by the way, has always been there. And now they're just talking about it in a way that I think some people are recognizing. So I think those things get me excited and I would want to share with other people who might be stuck in a way of thinking or um, execution of like, yeah, we're just kind of moving throughout. Um, I think that would be, would be something I would want to bring to a show and tell. Love it. And finally, if you were to meet a younger version of yourself, uh, what piece of advice do you think you would give? Man, singular piece of advice. There's probably a lot that I would say to my younger (laughs) self. Um, You know, I've become more in my own journey for being self-aware. I think there's a lot of things that I've identified and not to say that I figured them all out, but there's things that in that process I've identified of like, Hey, maybe if if I would have learned these things earlier, I would have not, not necessarily ended up in a different place, but I just would have not had to, struggle through some of the the feelings and emotions. So I think one thing in that realm is like um, being more 
um, uh, like really digging into the things that I, I, I liked. And I always just would say like, Oh, I like, yeah, I like a lot of things. Like I'm on all of the spectrums. I'm a people pleaser. I go along, get along type of person. I always say I'm a, a, the joke now is I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, but I think that thing made me good at a lot of things, but that whole like good to great analogy. So like the things that you really liked, like dig into those and like really see where that can take you versus being kind of you know, peanut butter spread across a, a couple of different things. So um, I'd say a lot of times for people who are just starting in the strategy side of things, like, and not even just strategy, just in our industry, I talk about curiosity and even that's something I challenge myself with today of like, what am I reading? What am I learning? Like, and so letting that be the thing that like drove passion for at a, at a younger age to be like, okay, I'm curious about this thing. I like this thing. Like what's the next step and dig even a little bit deeper on a few things to see where that takes you versus trying to just kind of stay in the, I like this phase of a lot of different things. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been such an awesome conversation. Uh, I wish yes, the Mavericks you, well this season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't we all? Well, maybe not all of us, but I definitely also. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This is great. And the, the podcast is, uh, I think the perspectives that have uh, shown up on this have been uh, amazing. I went back and listened to uh, a healthy amount of episodes leading up to this. So uh, kudos to what you guys are doing and, and just the platform that you're building here, but also uh, the community that you're building and the people that are tuning in and for those who will tune in later and hopefully uh, not turn off <laughs> after listening to this one. Um, <laughs> no way, but, man. Uh, yeah. I, you guys are doing a, a great job. So keep killing it. It's great stuff. You're listening to a brand folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the brand collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.